Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I am here with Nick Hare, Jordan Fermanis, and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing New York in films. Nick. Well, when I was a lad... It seemed like every other film was set in New York. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you some examples mm -hmm. of what I consider to be good films from the uh, mm -hmm. 80s, um, rom which are la largely or at least partly mm. set in New York. Mm -hmm. Romancing the Stone, Ghostbusters, mm. Trading Places, mainly Philadelphia, but um, but but you know certainly has been seen in New York at the end. Once Upon a Time in America, The Godfather, Cat's Eye, Crocodile Dundee, mm. Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, Big Cocktail. You name it. Uh, if it's an eight classic 80s film, there's a good it's chance it'll be York. set in New York. To the extent that I really felt I'd been to New York before mm. I did in real life. And then when I got there, lo and behold, it was bloody just like in the films. Mm. It was great. Mm. Um, uh, admittedly, it's all been a bit spruced up now. It's not as edgy as it was in the 80s, but I still love the place. Mm. Um, but it did uh, sort of, you know, I was sort of wondering, well, you know, what's happened Where's New York to gone? films set in New York these days? Mm. And... In pursuit of, well, first of all, the question of am I right? Is that just a misperception? Mm -hmm. So I had a look at I had a look at that. But it, but actually, is it part of a more general trend? Well, I think we'll move on to discuss of films just not being set in the real world anymore, mm. right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll I think we'll there's a lot of things that we want to discuss here. But for, let's focus in on New York for now, mm. right? It is true. That there are fewer films. So the high, the high point of New York in film was actually the the late eighties and mid nineties. So um, in uh, nineteen fifty one, approximately twelve films on Wikipedia. This is films on Wikipedia. It's not systematic. It's just films listed on Wikipedia as being set in New York. In in throughout the nineteen fifties, there were around ten a year, and then in the in the late sixties, that jumps up to about thirty a year, mm. and then that hits um, about forty a year in uh, nineteen ninety six, which is which is a, a sort of high point, and then there's a decline falling off uh, dramatically so that in 2020 the number of films set in New York was 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 back to the 1950s level so well, it's sorry, not what, a misperception did we skip it's some true. decades there uh, what was yeah, 70s, well, what obviously was 80s? I didn't I'm not going to sit here and read out the entire chart I'm oh, just no, telling no, but, you but no but we did but we did we do want to talk about the 80s a little or certainly your, sort of your formative years yeah, so, the, so. Big, the big there's a big leap up um which happens throughout from the late 70s through to the sort of mid 80s uh but it reaches uh, as i said a high a high point so there's a steady rise um reaching a high in the late 90s oh um, did you already say that and, I and then it. a precipitous decline yes so a precipitous decline as i said like like it's really fallen off over the last 10 years um, we've gone from about, you know, well, over, since since over the last 20 years, we've gone from about 40 films a year set in New York mm. to 10. OK. Um, and as I said, the filtering mechanism is are they listed as set in New York on Wikipedia? So okay. for all the all the, you know, selection bias problems that brings in, just let's assume that something is going on there. Yeah. yeah. So um, so that's there's the data. And I wonder if jo I think Jordan might have looked at some tactical reasons why this might have happened. Yeah. Because it's it's super interesting to know well why did that occur and then what's happened since mm. um, Jordan. Yeah, one of the things I was looking at was a reason for this um, overrepresentation of New York, 
um, could be tax rebates and um, financial incentives. So um, production companies um, sort of operating... Well, it's really depressing if that is the answer. <laughs> um, I, I, well, let's, let's look. We've got to, we've got to entertain yeah. these prosaic yeah, 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 yeah. before we get... Um, movie companies um, financing films and receiving a tax rebate um, for them being set in New York. So basically the New York... Uh, government offering mm. um, tax breaks to these to these production companies to set their films there, um, and I think that is a rather prosaic, yeah, prosaic uh, reason. But I think it is something that apparently reached a high point in the eighties and nineties, and, and, and then has since the, the the money has gone elsewhere. So it's massively correlated. Co- well, and yeah, not just correlated, but yeah, yeah. Um, is that it? Well, what do you think? No, do you think I think there's other there's other things going on. Um, apparently, also. Um, while there were a lot of films set in New York, mm. um, there was also a large number that was set in places that to look like New York. So apparently Toronto was mm. used as a substitute because um, there are parts of Toronto that look remarkably similar to, to the skyline of, uh, of, of, New, of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though there was a high number of films in New York, there was also people making cheaper Right. Adaptation, like imitations of films. Yeah, set in I New think York one of well. the best the best films about New York is Eyes Wide Shut, and that's that was made in London. Hmm. I've never seen that film. Okay, yeah, well yeah. we need to correct that, but we'll yeah. we'll discuss later. Yeah. Uh, look, um, sorry, keep going, Jordan. Um, well, I think one of the other sort of maybe to to go into more of the artistic or cinematic kind of reasons is is possibly that it was just we've uh, oversat reached a saturation point with mm. films set in new york mm. and, and maybe we're all you know the cinema goers uh, were sort of exhausted with um the number of films set in new york and so directors were looking for more you know yeah. diverse settings i mean i mean all this data and stuff is all very well but um when we get into the realms of speculative speculative uh, conjecture and so on I, that's why i feel more comfortable yeah. um and i i think it's that um, i mean my theory is that you know uh, new york used to be glamorous and of right. course, it's a beautiful setting, etc. Lots of architecture and New Yorkers with their great accent, by the way, with their whole sort of, I want a coffee. And that's all very, you know, um, uh, exotic, interesting. But hey, we've, we're, we're globalized now and, mm. you know, not so exotic anymore. Um, and it's uh, tied in with that kind of saturation. Uh, that's my sort of thoughts on this. Chris, anything we're missing from what Jordan yeah, well, said? Well, I, I think... Um I think there's a couple of things uh, that I'll pick up on there. What one is uh, that just occurred to me as Jordan was was talking there is that New York itself has changed, as I think you were sort of uh, intimating there. It it used to yes, it used to look gritty, but it also was mm. gritty. You know, there there were those were some um, mean streets, <clears throat> mean streets, and um, and you could tell potentially stories about real people's lives in this world, whereas mm. n- now. I guess if you look at the, the the property prices, for example, the chances of anybody who isn't super rich living in Manhattan mm. is is kind of non non-existent. I, I I would expect so. So actually, uh, it's not so much people's attitudes towards New York. It's New York itself may have changed, and therefore the films you can realistically make in the present True. day about New York might have changed. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to come on to. Uh, was you, when you talked about globalization, mm. um, and I think one of the things I was uh, I was looking at was um, the growth in the sort of international 
um, film market. And China, in 2020, China, Chinese mainland, uh, became the world's largest film market. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's sort of been creeping up over, over decades. But 610 million cinema tickets sold uh, um, uh, that, that year. And that's, that's in the context of, of lockdown, remember, you know. So, so I imagine when they come out of all of that, you know, that, that, that cinema audience is going to be even, even larger. And um, eighty-five percent of those those films are Chinese, are produced by the Chinese film industry, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's a massive market, as are all these other emerging markets. And America wants a part of of those um, those markets. If you look at what the Chinese uh, film industry are producing, they're producing films like The Battle of uh, at Lake Ch Changjing, uh, mm -hmm. which, which is about the Korean War and Chinese involvement in yep. the Korean War. Uh, um, there's a, a very popular film um, called My People, My Country, which is a, a whole series, a, a seven-part anthology of different filmmakers making little, little bits that are all about different elements from China's history, you know, mm -hmm. since 1949. And these are real life sort of films. And the question is, what can the American film industry offer China? If it starts showing, like they want to see things about China that are authentically chi Chinese. And I think like when I try and engage- Are you saying big, big trouble in little China mm, doesn't cut it? I, I'm gonna say that it's very difficult for a US film market to make authentic Chinese films, mm. right? And if you look at people from different cultures' ability to access information or, or art from other cultures, I think about myself trying to read the um, Chinese translation of, of the Three Body Problem, which is a famous uh, Chinese science fiction right. um, book that's translated. And it's very difficult to interact with it. And then I think about my ability to look at um, historic uh, um, classical Chinese theater and music, and I find it very difficult to engage with it. And I wonder whether the idea, you know, what can America make authentic films about real, you know, it's about American culture. It's, it's um, uh, you know, Erin Brockovich, Forrest Gump, American Beauty. That's what it can make authentic films about, or stuff set in New York. Mm. But it might be that these other international audiences can't really access that. You know, it used to be the US market was the big film market. Now it's not. Yeah. Are they able, you know, when they look at things set in New York, do they just shrug their shoulders and go, don't, yeah. don't so get it? Does really. the international internationalization of the film market blandify yeah. and remove geographical and cultural touchstones yeah. like like New York, which means a lot to us, but doesn't mean a yeah. lot to anyone in... And maybe this is also why you end up with millions of superhero films as well, because <laughs> right. it's well, very international. Ah, so I've got um, some data on that. But before we do, Jordan, you were just going to... I was just going to say that... I think it's that, but it's also potentially that the, the element of risk has been removed from cinema as well. Uh, right. Not to bring it back to money again, but it kind of is, I think, that these f franchise films or these kind of you know, Marvel films, Jurassic, Star Wars, all, the, all these franchises, they're, they're a safer bet than something that might be more artistic yeah. uh, than, and, and maybe... That, that could explain it as yeah. well. No, absolutely. And I, I think there's also a case of the diversification of the film producing world itself, not just the audiences, but the, so, you know, I mentioned those Chinese films focusing on things in China. Um, famously, you know, uh, Parasite, the South Korean film was a, a gritty sort of uh, soul set um, uh, drama. You look at British cinema and the films coming out this year, um, 
Boiling Point is a kitchen thriller. Uh, mm -hmm. True Things is a relationship drama set in, in the, you know, England. Uh, the Duke with Jim Broadbent as a, as a cabbie um, involved in art theft and Operation Mincemeat. They're all set in authentic English sort of settings. And, um, you know, and so th there are films being made in the real world. They're just not be being made in the American real world, perhaps. Anyway. OK, um, because that brings me on to something I want to talk about, which is um, sort of broadening this out. And I mean, although I talked about um, superhero films and I know we sort of go on about this a little bit and moan about them here. Um, but actually, something Chris said is actually there are loads of real life films being made out there. I mean, is so I've so I've looked at I looked at I created a realism index. Okay, right, which is um, uh, now just I obviously don't have an infinite amount of time, so I've just applied it to the biggest box U.S. box office film of each year. Okay, and it, there's three elements to it, and you get one point. One point if it's set in the present day, plus or minus a hundred years. Okay, uh, you get one point if in universe. If the hero is an everyman or every woman, so okay. if the hero is just a, an ordinary yeah, yeah. person, yeah. right? And then that you get one point if the events that occur are plausible, right? Yeah. They're not ridiculously low probability or they don't break the laws of nature and that kind of thing. So Star Wars gets one because Luke Skywalker is an everyman, right? He's an ordinary person. He's not, uh, to begin with, you know, some kind of super Jedi. Raiders the uh, Empire Strikes Back gets zero because by the time Empire Strikes Back is going on, Luke's already a, a bit of a Jedi. Um, whereas Kramer versus Kramer, 1979, three out of three. Mm. Right. So Beverly Hills Cop, three out of three. Mm. That's the real world. OK, I mean, you know, we're not all cops, but, it, you know, um, I rewatched that last week. Great film. Yeah. Great film. Three Men and a Baby, uh, Rain Man, uh, Home Alone, all three out of three. Mm. Um, but. The index has declined markedly in the last oh, twenty really? years. Yeah, so we've got um, Shrek two, Star Wars three, Pirates of the Caribbean, all in my index zero out of zero. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, things like Black Panther, we've talked about these, but Avengers Endgame, where they're getting one out of three because you know they're technically set in the in the modern day and so on, but all the characters and the events are, are kind of fantasy. This, this is depressing. So so. I have plotted the, a five-year rolling average score for the top uh, film. And there is a, basically, my realism index is throughout the uh, 80s and 90s is at two. Biggest selling film of the year get, is on average getting about two out of three for realism. It has gone down a massive fall in the early 2000s. So that now now the average film is getting one out of three. Mm. So so I've got definite proof that films are getting less realistic. Okay. Wow. Over time, and um, so I thought, well, it, what I was hoping to find uh, was that this is correlated with something to do with cinema, um, but it is, I couldn't find any correlation with cinema attendance and and even average ratings of films. Um, unfortunately, in my view, the, the average uh, film, the, the highest score is one out of three for realism, which gets on average 7.7 .7 on IMDb. Yeah. Um, and a three out of three films out of that yeah. list are, are averaging 6.9. So, so in fact, r realism doesn't hmm. get you more sales, so far as I can tell, and it doesn't get you uh, higher ratings. Mm. But it, it has changed significantly, there's no doubt about it. Um, um, and I, I have a, a, I've got a couple of potential explanations, but it might be might throw it open a bit. Yeah, first. yeah. Um, out of interest, how long did that research take you? That little 
that little bit you've just talked about? Uh, pro- probably about uh, an hour putting yeah. all that stuff together. Mm, just okay. you know, uh, but, well, uh, we talked about film data before. It's actually very hard to automate the yeah. collection of data about films, so I had to do most of that by yeah. hand. Yeah, no, I'm impressed. Um, I, like I would that. like to apply it more widely, but obviously there's an issue in that. It's based on my judgment. How ordinary is Luke Skywalker? Right. Yeah. 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 Isn't that but, some um, subjectivity? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Nice. So look, let's sort of take that as um, let's take that as true for a moment. That you know there is less real life in films. Um, there seems to be some sort of you know there's, we can defend that if we want. Why? Why? Well, I, I, I had an initial theory, um, which I, I subsequently, I think, disproved to myself, which was that because they can, right? So um, with the advent of technology, right, and, and mm. uh, CGI, it enables you to do things that obviously you couldn't previously do. So you can set an entire thing in space, you know, I wouldn't say at low budget, but you, don't, you no longer need to build massive sets and all that kind of stuff. And it looks really good. Um, so I initially thought, well, maybe there was always this latent desire for for fantasy, you know, look at look at comic books and that kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, I wonder what the you know, in the let's say the 70s, what the top books were, were they all, you know, fantasy genres? But actually, no, if you look at um, US book sales in, in the 70s, they were things like um, The Choir Boys, which was about the LA uh, PD department, uh, Ragtime, which was sort of historical f- fiction set in New York, uh, Money Changer um, was about the politics of a major bank. So I, I sort of realised that actually the bestsellers lists of the, of the 70s weren't full of uh, you know, um, gritty real life stuff. Well, they well, they were. They 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 were essentially you know um, novels set in in the real world. So they were. Uh, so so actually, you know, if you if you're taking that as a measure of what people would like to see, what kinds of fictions they like, uh, what kind of fiction they like, um, there wasn't necessarily you know you know maybe that mores have have changed. You know what people want in their fiction has changed. Not just that they always wanted that and now they can can make it. So I think I, I sort of disproved that theory that CGI was at the at the heart of why we're getting more fantasy. Right. It's not about the capability to do it. It's actually it is about demand for it. Um, Jordan. Um, yeah, well, Chris was talking about how the audience uh, tastes have, have changed. But I think also the way that um, films have made or have also has also changed. Mm. Um, I think they're probably more more market researched, more audience audience tested, vetted, modified. Um, and I think that they've sort of strayed now into audio visual entertainment rather mm. than um, than like artistic cinema. Mm. And, and I think that's also possibly uh, why they're less about real people or, and, and real events, but they're more just excitement, CGI, you know, these sorts of things that people like to sort of go and be and be amazed by and and, mm. and, and I think that that could also mm. um, explain it. I mean, I like to think of myself as sort of having faith in humanity, um, but I just, I just is it you know makes just this sort of trend just brings out the yeah, misanthropy. Well, I, I may me. I may have stumbled upon the explanation. Good because I hope it's I hope I hope because is it about a growing inf- infantilism and a blandification? Please tell me that I'm wrong, Nick. Well. I'm going to put it down to escapism. Yeah. Right. Well, so infantilism, right? Right. But uh, well, the thing is, so what? What is escapism, right? So it's it's it says uh, in Wikipedia mm. that escapism is mental diversion from unpleasant or boring aspects of daily life, typically yeah. through activities involving imagination or entertainment. Yeah. 
Um, what might drive that? Well, I looked at um, American satisfaction with personal lives yeah. and with the direction of the U.S., now, people's satisfaction with their personal lives, it may surprise you to learn, is basically flat for the last 40 years. Okay. Right? People, on average now, are reporting the same level of satisfaction with their personal lives around about 80% that they were 40 years ago, and there's almost no change. Satisfaction with the direction of the US is all over the place, ah. right? And tracks very, very closely my realism index in films. Ooh, yeah, okay. so so the more happy people are with everyday life, the more likely you are to get films about everyday life. Mm. Um, so, the, I mean, the, and, and it's spookily um, close, actually, the correlation. So you, you, you see throughout the 80s, you've got this kind of, around about 50% of people, which is very high, are saying they're satisfied with the direction of the US. Um, and that's when we're getting all these films which are realistic. Right, or mm. score two out of three. Then there's this big drop off in the early '90s with the recession, mm. and that is when you start to see the decline of realism in in films on on my index, and um and then you you get this little rise up again for throughout the '90s, uh, which um about uh, with insatisfaction. Uh, and then a massive drop off from 2001 onwards uh, it, with people's satisfaction with the US. And and that tracks very, very closely the shape of my realism curve. So I, I think this has got to be something to do with it. Um, yeah. So. So, yeah. So there's there's this issue that people at the moment are, um, you know, still saying they're not happy with the direction that the US is going in. Uh, that's a, a really a record low at the moment. And so that's, I think, why we might be getting lots of films which are, um, which are, which are all based in based in on uh, you know about superheroes and that sort of thing. Uh, you 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 might you might if you had a sort of casting your mind over a longer time period, think about where do superheroes come from? And I, my understanding is they they sort of arose as an idea in the 1930s. Uh, I think that's when sort of those, those all the all the classics were or Superman certainly famously sort of the, economies around the world yeah, were tanking exactly so so I wonder if basically you get you when times are bad people retreat into fantasy and escapism and when times are good um, it's the opposite they they want to see films about uh, you know their 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 real real world right? it, but anyway it, that, that's it, just a as I said it would require a bit of a you know, mm, depth study but uh, makes anyway. me think of uh, is it Brave New World and so um so um we've still got a little bit of while to go in this chris where, where do you want to take us with this well i was just going to say um i was going to look at the idea of what realism is right because some of those films that we talked about uh set in new york things like uh, ghostbusters mm. and big right are, are really um magical realism yeah right? they're, 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 there's like there's obviously not a world in which ghosts are flying around and you're trying to catch them in traps or, you know, a, a child can turn into an adult overnight. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a sort of element. And if you look at um, in the reverse direction, so you can have things set in the real world that, are, that have elements of magical realism or, or might be low fantasy where things like Highlander where they're walking around the real world one minute, but there's this other world that they mm. access or, or mm. draw on. Even Harry Potter, you know, um, is arguably set in the real world. Mm. Um, but the other way round, if you look at superheroes, Nick mentioned superheroes in the 1930s and, and 40s as well, where they were used um, for um, 
you know, anti-Nazi propaganda, they were very much operating in the real world of the time, you know, helping Uncle Sam win win the war, right? Um, now then, they're, they're, now they're not. So they were superhero stories were more realistic in yeah. in the golden age of superheroes than they are um, than they are today, where you're fighting, you know, intergalactic baddies or or, or whatever. So it, it's just a, a question of, well, what. What is um, what is realism? Is, that, is something set in the past? You know, if it's historical fiction, right? Um, it's it's obviously uh, not the world we live in at the moment, right? Is that massively different from an entirely created universe? You might base it on some facts, but we're no longer living in medieval Europe or nineteen uh, twenties New York or whatever. So that, in a sense, is a is a um, a fantasy world as as well and then right down i mean it is fiction right so even when you've got an everyman or every woman story those aren't real and even if it's based on fact it's still always interpreted fact you don't know that person's monolo internal monologue and all that kind of stuff so everything really is fantastical in in cinema and and film you know even documentaries have interpretation and there are lots of good examples you know of people helping penguins uphill or whatever in you know wildlife documentaries yeah. <laughs> um, that, that that show that actually these things aren't presented in in the right way so all i'm saying is it's a it's a spectrum and what yes, on the face of exactly. it looks like it might it might be real might actually not be there might be all sorts of elements where you know um you've you've got um uh, a lot of escapism and fantasy going on. Oh, yeah. do you, how do you fancy some completely uninformed speculation? Oh, of course. Yeah, based on that thought, right? Which is, if you look at, and I know we've discussed this before, and I think you and I disagree on this, but that I, I think you can't just say, you know, well, st all stories have, you know, the same sort of basic structure, and you oh, have okay. the kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. hero's journey, and the, you know, the kind of buildings romance of, you know, you get plucked out of your everyday life and go into that. Um, but uh, I think there is an evolutionary purpose behind that and and it's, uh, you know, behind the reason we find those interesting and it is essentially because it's informative. You know, you learn about I remember this. how to deal with problems uh, yeah. by listening to other people facing problems, um, you know, and overcoming them. And that basically, that gives us a, a you what know... What was that bizarre theory, words, that sort of you put to yeah, two or three... Shannon information. There you go. So anyway, let's hold that thought, right, that basically we like stories that are informative. But... What kinds of stories do we like? Now, yeah. I would let's say you're happy with your world. You're happy with the valley you live in. Mm. You want to see stories about trees and how where you find fruit and fish and everyday life. If you're not happy about the valley where you live, you want to see a story about a different valley. Because actually, the thing you want to do probably is up sticks as a tribe and, and go and find the, that better valley somewhere else. Mm. So I, I suppose taking, you know... Chris's idea about there being a sliding scale of of realism, mm. um, it feels like it, it actually ties into the notion of escapism there. Yeah, the, yeah. the fact that actually the further the the the, un, the unhappier you are, the stories are still fulfilling the same. Well, basic it's the same. Purpose. It's basically the same model. It's just sliding yeah. it. That's but, all. But, right? but yeah. uh, depending, it's sort of a question of how how far away you want to learn about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and the and the unhappier you are now, the further away that thing is that you want to be informed about. Because who cares? when you're not going to be living in this valley very much longer either because we're all off. Yeah. Monday. Yeah. Off we go. Over the hill. Yeah. yeah Green yeah, fields yeah. beyond. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we might have actually 
unusually come to some kind of concrete conclusion. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, look, unless we've got something else, I've, def I've definitely got a question I want to ask. Really obvious question, but I'm not ashamed of it. Um, favorite film set in New York? Mm. I've got some that I'm already thinking of. Can I kick off? Yeah, go on. So, um, just four off the top of my head. Um, I I love Annie Hall. Um, famously, you can't have that one because that's in my top five favorite films of all, of all time, time. Let yeah. alone set in New wonderful York. film. Um, and also, famously, I think Martin Scorsese said is that you know because he, he and uh, Woody Allen sort of their films are actually often set in New York around the same time and more, Martin Scorsese saying well I don't know what New York he was sort of <laughs> living in but it's not my New York um, but yeah I love Annie, Annie Hall um, Escape from New York yeah good one nice I, great film some beautiful character actors in there as well um, but then my top two Midnight Cowboy I mean, mm. just fantastic. But probably my top film, set in New York. You're just taking all of them. So listen, I should, yeah, this isn't fair at all, is it? Because you guys always so original have such different ones to me. Um, Serpico, love that film. And and one of the greatest things about, I mean, I just I just love the way out, uh, the way New York looks. I love the way Al Pacino looks. I want to look like he looks towards the end of that film, or about two thirds of the way when he's got his handlebar moustache. Um, but the best thing, and it never happens these days, is one day I was at visiting a mate when I was at university. We sat down to watch TV on a you know, Thursday evening or something and switched on the telly. And um, this film comes on uh, called Serpico. Mm. And never heard it, knew nothing about it. And wonderful film. I recommend it to anyone. Those are my uh, top films. Sorry if I've just nabbed them all, but Serpico is mine. Anyway, so let's open this up. Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. Um... Is it Do the Right Thing? The Spike? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, that's a good film. one. Um, yeah, those are the ones that spring to mind. Um, and then there's, I guess, other classic sort of King Kong and like... Um, oh, yeah. Going back even what's even that newer... Where th there's so many films, I think, where New York gets destroyed as well. <laughs> I think where it's like um, destruction of New York, which are also yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Hey, well, look, no, yeah, because you're seeing iconic stuff being uh, yeah. knocked down. But no, no, so let's zero in a bit. I mean, Taxi Driver, wonderful film. Why? Mm. Why do you like it? Why? It's just, I think, yeah, I think it's it's that was, I guess, in Nick's high point of New York, sort of, you know, like the grittiness, the the kind of. Yeah, the aesthetics of it. I guess it's you know peak yeah seventies opportunity. It's just a yeah. I yeah. think Robert De Niro. Synonymous, sorry, De Niro synonymous with New York. Yeah. Seventies um, New York. There's something about it, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'd actually want to live there, but it looks great. Um, uh, well, yeah. I can I can have a, have go, a on. go at this. Yeah, I'm tempted. Uh, I'll have two. I want two, which is the uh, the two would be first of all the kind of uh, blockbuster New York, which is uh, Ghostbusters. Yep. Um, I just, I just think it, it's got so much in it. I've now I've been. I went when I was in the US mm. over summer. I went to the place the, oh, to really? their firehouse. Yeah, it's okay. now a kind of Ghostbusters museum. But um, yeah, it, it, I think that's that really just has has everything in it. As the city is a character really in the film, isn't it? You know, mm, and the mm. um, I've not seen it in a while, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, because they, you know, but they go into all kinds of different places. You know, they're in this kind of rundown firehouse, but they go into you know big hotels and there's a big apartment building which turns out to be a kind of conduit for for evil forces. And mm. it's just it's a real sort of sweep uh, across the uh, the city. Um, but I think my, my the the other the sort of other 
other end, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, a, a kind yeah. of exclusive, um, very upper middle class world, New York world, closer to the Woody Allen world mm. um, of, of, you know, pe- rich people's houses. And, uh, you know, but but also that contrasted, you know, the, when he goes out into the streets with the sort of low lives. But but you're seeing it from the perspective of, a, of a, you know, someone who's used to that that sort of high class world. Um, and, mm. uh, you know, uh, as much, I, 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 there's something very appealing about all that. Mm, mm, mm. I, I need to go away and say that film. You I certainly think it's, do. It's just because of ambivalent uh, or ambiguous um, rather reviews that I've yeah. just stayed away from it a bit. I've stayed away for too long. Uh, Chris? Yeah, so I, th- I think a couple of, couple of films stand out for me. Uh, the first is uh, Big. Mm. Um, and I, I think I watched that when I was probably about the age of the main character. Mm. Um, and so, y- y- you know, you see all of New York as a child mm. uh, and, you know, all the amazing stuff there is there. And wouldn't it be cool if you had your own loft apartment in mm. New York, you know? And um, so, so that because it was probably a, a really child-focused view of New York at a time when I was a child. Uh, the other film is um, Carlito's Way, um, which another Al Pacino film he seems to be featuring uh, featuring heavily, but um, not particularly because New York featured in it, but because it's about, uh, you know, the, the failed attempts of this, uh, uh, tragic failed attempts of this person to escape that New, mm. York, New York crime scene. Um, and and the reason I suppose it really stands in, 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 out in my mind is because of the character uh, Benny Blanco from the Bronx, mm. um, who who you know he, he well I won't I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen the film yeah. but um, but he yeah he has a very um, important part in yeah, it yeah 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 I like that film um, I'll tell you a film I hate that's set in New York yeah Gangs of New York um, yeah okay. that is a a uh, a terrible yeah film. It did nothing for me that film. I mean, I liked it. I can't remember much about it now, but have I rewatched it? No. No, it didn't feel real to me. No, in no way. Loosely based on West Side Story. No, it's set in the really, uh, yeah. set in the nineteenth century, I think, in yeah, it's the Five Points. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, about yeah. sort of gangsters in in eighteen nineteenth uh, century New York. Oh, it's a good idea. Just and yes, also, I do. That. Well, no, but what do you think of Daniel Day Lewis? His performance in it, it is scary. Is is quite sort of visceral. He's a bit. No? Is it, is, I think hammy? he sucks. Yeah, yeah sucks okay. a bit too much of the air out of the film. I think. Mm, yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. All right, nice. Well, I enjoyed that one as well. Um, so uh, we will stop there. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. Um, I've been here with Jordan Fermanis, Chris Rag, and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.